Welcome to season four of the You Flourish podcast, where we help you flourish in your faith. We are high energy, enthusiastic business professionals who are unapologetically Christians. At You Flourish Company, we know that our world puts such a high value on success and productivity, and unfortunately, our faith gets put on the back burner. So what does it mean to flourish in your faith? Well, it means collaborating with God in every area of your life and in every season. With friends, family, and in business meetings, God wants to have a seat at your table, but you have to invite him in. And that is why this podcast exists, to help prepare you for every curveball that comes your way so you can stay grounded and flourish in your faith. Join us every other Tuesday for a new interview with a faith leader. Now it's time to dive in to today's episode. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to be here today with Paul Johnson. Now, Paul is someone that I would consider not only a role model and a professional that I look up to, but also a friend. Uh, Paul and I had the opportunity to connect a while back, a couple of years back, when I was looking into a networking type group. And from there, we had a one-on-one and we just really hit it off. We share a lot of similar passions for both leadership, but also music and faith. And so it's really fun to stay connected with Paul. And so Paul, why don't I turn it over to you? And if you would tell us just a little bit about your background and who you are. Oh, who am I? I guess I'm just the guy that needs grace most of the time, you know, (laughs) Um, as we've talked at length sometimes about that stuff. Uh, You know, at this moment in time, um, Husband, father, grandfather of six wonderful kids uh, from 17 to one. Um, mm. Got four sons who are in different parts of the country, but we stay pretty close. We get together a few times a year. Family's important. Um, grew up in the Great Lakes area in upstate New York. And so I know what real winter looks like. Um, not quite as bad as maybe yours, but still... <laughs> pretty bad in consideration of where I am now in Northern Virginia. Um, and I've had lots of things going on in my life, a short stint in pro football, um, played almost professional softball. I say almost because we played so much, it felt like that. And uh, sports is a big part of my life as well as um, my kids. Um, self-employed at different times. So understand, you know, the responsibility part of that. And uh you know, it's all well well rounded out to who I am today because I completely believe that you're a composite of your experiences and how you've you know how you've grown and and lived throughout the time. So, but if if somebody says you know who are you? I mean, ultimately, today I just need God's grace, and that's what who I am. It's a guy who needs His grace. Well, that's beautiful, Paul. And, you know, you brushed over it real quick, but you did mention that you were in pro football. Tell our audience what team you played for. So I had an opportunity to try to play for Buffalo, Um, but this was a very long time ago. Um, And uh, because I'm old. So (laughs) um, I was was in their camp uh, for two two years in a row. They brought me back. But um, 
didn't quite make the last cut, but it was it was a wonderful experience, and still am uh, acquainted with some of those guys that were already veterans or were were playing and have played, and a couple have coached um, in the uh, in the NFL after playing there. So um, it was it was a great experience. I think in retrospect, it wasn't what now today. Back then, I didn't think it. Um, I was in my early twenties. It was God's plan to not have me do that. Um, I still played minor league football for about seven years, but as a result of that kind of level of play, which means it's not really, uh, you don't get all the um, conveniences and niceties, and even in the pro game back in that that time. Um, and then my continued to play adult sports through most of my life until in my early 40s, and you know, my body got pretty beat up. And if I had probably been um, in the NFL for any period of time, it would have got beaten up a lot worse. And my my friends and some of these guys that I've stayed acquainted with, they are examples of that, uh, mm-hmm. where they're in way worse shape. And I'm I'm feeling it every day, today, uh, a long time later. So that wasn't what he wanted. There's other things that went on in my life, including almost coaching college ball and maybe going to coach football, but not doing that. And it was, again, back to retrospect, not what he wanted me to do. I wasn't really praying for him to tell me what to do at that time. He just he just did it and took the opportunities away. So here I am where I'm at today and um, really wouldn't change much for it. Wouldn't mm-hmm. change. Well, Paul, let's just dive right into that with your faith story. I want our audience to hear a lot more about your journey and how you really not only discovered your faith, but also throughout the years have gained strength in being a stronger Christian today than you even were not too long ago. So why don't you just go ahead and go that route? I will. Um, And thanks for that opportunity. You know, today I have some extreme weaknesses and he relieves them sometimes and sometimes he doesn't and those weaknesses that still stay with me are mostly generally um anxiety and i try to pray it away and um it's the gut the it it subsides but it doesn't completely go away and i don't and i get frustrated with myself so i start out with that because this 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 journey what what went on in my world was you know hasn't left me in this perfect being because we're not perfect hasn't left me in this perfect psyche or this perfect ability emotionally um uh, i struggle but what i have learned to do was even when i've had those prayers of lord just give me wisdom and take this anxiety away it's it's, it's literally just driving me out of my mind. It subsides. It doesn't always go away because the situation is provoking. It is still there poking at me. You know, Satan's poking the stuff and saying, see, it doesn't work. It doesn't work, but it does work. So um, born and raised in a Catholic house, went to Catholic grade school, went to all boys Catholic high school, um, altar boy, kind of, um, I don't know, there's a blind faith kind of thing. You just accepted things. Um, so sometimes I knew some of these things weren't quite right, but I wasn't sure. Uh, one of the things I'm grateful for is that in an early age, like second grade, they teach you about the Trinity. And as an adult, and as an older adult, under, trying to understand the Trinity is completely impossible. And we just don't have 
the cons the, the ability to do that. But as as a second grader, when you're what seven, to understand it, it's it's, it's literally completely impossible. So they talk about it being just an acceptance of it just is. And there's a lot of that in being brought up Catholic of it's just is, but I'm grateful for that because I don't have the struggles that I've seen some later in life Christians, people who came to Christ as adults with education and, and knowledge uh, from the world to have to rationalize either scientifically or emotionally the Trinity. It's just to me, it's just is. I don't, I don't know what to say to you. I understand that it's there. I don't understand how it works because we're not supposed to. You know, so that I, I, then I get out of high school and then the rest of that kind of goes away as far as being intimately involved in the Catholic Church. And you kind of, it's kind of like the three times a year um, attendance, you know, Easter, Christmas. And um, I forgot what was the other one. My mother used to always make me go. Anyway. Palm Sunday? Palm Sunday? Probably Palm Sunday. So you know, I, I stumbled through life. I made tons of mistakes. I had some successes. Um, but I didn't know what my mission was. I didn't, I never really said, I'm going to go to school and be this and do this. And I'm going to be that. I mean, I think losing out on the football opportunity probably was a lot of that. You know, I'm a, a kid growing up in the seventies. Um, oh, I'm going to be a football player. That was the only thing that was on my mind, you know, and the, Jesus Revolution, which is very popular as a as a kind of, as a subject today because of the movie, but also uh, the thoughts back to that. I was in some of that, and as a result of watching the movie um, with Chuck and Greg, I remembered back to that time in my life when that became more of a um, oh wow, there's those those Jesus freaks, you know, and and what are they, the born again thing and all that was was nuts. And then um, there was a young man that I had worked with um, as, as a doorman in a club, a college club, who later on hired me to work with him in a, a manufacturing distribution business. And his name was also Paul. And um, we, to save money, would sometimes drive together to different cities within our region of where we were working, but it was his company. And... Um, he prayed all the time and he was, he had his Bible with him and, and he was attempting to bring me to Jesus two or three times. And I just kept, I'm just not there, but I'm just, it wasn't, I just refused it. You know, I, I appreciate what you're doing. I like what you're doing, but just, that's not for me. And it was really that, just that final prayer step, you know? So um, God was knocking. And I wasn't answering. And so that, we'll fast forward a few more years. And um, I had been uh, into the career that I'm still in today, which was in, in mortgage uh, originations and, and management. Um, and was working, and the, the guy I was working with was, um, had opportunity for him and I to start a, a home building company. And before I was in mortgage, I was, in construction, I had my own construction company for a number of years. That was part of the part of, I had nowhere I was going, I didn't have a mission. That whole company that I had, I started out with me and one person. And when I sold part of it and got out of the business, 
I had 48 people working for me and we were grossing millions of dollars a year. And I, that was not my plan. It just happened that way. And, you know, it was somewhat stressful and I wasn't calling on God enough. That was for sure. That was for sure. But um, we had this, he, he asked me if we wanted to do this building thing. And I said, okay. And so um, we started a home building business and we built a great number of homes together. And I had to have somebody hired in, in the office. And um, this wonderful woman that came into my life was a young, you're a very young woman um, at the time, probably in her early 20s. Uh, her name was Julie. And Julie's story to me, um, it got my attention because she had been a bad teenager in in, in a lot of respects. Um, nothing criminally, but she just was disrespectful and just doing things she shouldn't have been doing. And one day somehow in her story, and I'm really condensing and paraphrasing because I don't remember it that well, because this was a long time ago. This was like 30 years ago. Um, she said, I just woke up and I had to knew if I didn't do something, I was going to die. And so I had been introduced and I just prayed that prayer to God to help me and Jesus come into my life. And two hours later, a friend of mine who was a born again Christian called me up and said, Hey, there's church tonight. You think you might want to go with me? And that was the beginning of her journey. And her complete focus was on Christ after, um, after her issues. And I can even remember having that kind of slang, so to speak, phrase when stuff would happen and say, oh, my God. And what was she was saying, yeah, well, he's mine, too, every time I said that. And so one day I asked her, I said, what is all that about? She goes, well, I just want to remind you that he's my Lord, too. But I don't think you're saying it like you're calling on him to help you. You're just saying it out of almost a disrespect thing. It's like, whoa, you know? So she had my attention. I was polite about it, but I was a little frustrated. And then, um, but she's the one who introduced me to Calvary Chapel because she was attending a, a, a new Calvary Chapel that had been seated in Rochester, New York. And uh, my pastor, Dan Crespo, uh, was the man I met there. And... Um, I helped them because I had a financial background and this building background, do a number of things to grow the church structurally. And they moved and took a bigger building as they often do. And, um, but still was not, you know, that, that kind of was a little bit before what happened almost next. I'd only gone once or twice before I got really involved and got them involved with the, making a move. And Greg Laurie was coming to town on a harvest crusade. He was traveling then, and he was going to be at our big arena there in Rochester that houses hockey and concerts and that. And um, she asked me if I wanted to go, and I'm like, nah. I was pushing back. And she goes, no, it'd be great for your whole family. You should bring everybody. And Lou Graham is going to be performing. And I went, Lou Graham's performing at a Christian outreach thing? And she goes, well, yeah, he's a Christian now. And why? I said, well, I know Lou. He went to the same high school I did. He was a few years ahead of me. But, and I watched his beginnings in the music business, you know, before he got big with Foreigner. Mm -hmm. Okay, we'll go. So I talked to my wife at the time, which I didn't know was struggling like she was with uh, substances, but nonetheless, and um, 
our boys and we um we all went and uh it was that invite was um it was just it was just amazing and greg did um greg did an altar call and my youngest son started to go down and they turned around and he goes aren't you all coming and i went right with him and we all went down and i really thought because at that point i knew about my wife's issues and struggles is that would oh this is going to be great because it's just going to drop it all off her and she's going to be free and then we're going to be able to be this nice family and everything's going to go on wonderfully and um as most people should know that's usually not what happens you know um certain aspects of your life improve greatly but you're going to struggle in others maybe more so um or some of those same struggles because we have freedom we have free will right so if if she doesn't really want to stop she's not going to and i had to accept that later on but um we came up and we got bibles and we got hugs and we're all like what's going on and um we started going to calvary on a regular basis and and on wednesdays and on sundays and um he did a great job and did with that with that body because we like every sunday after the we only had one service at the time there'd be a cookout right outside the church and everybody bring food and uh, it was just it was just always a blessing it was always great it was always great um he uh he got me really embedded in his style of teaching, which is a, a, a Chuck Smith style, which I think a lot of the Calvary's, most of those guys understand that style. And it's, it's a, it's an explanation, right. Of what, and from their viewpoint of what they're reading and it gives you good application to what you're doing every day. But um, the attacks actually increased and I was, um, I tried to be more responsible and attentive, but the ended up driving um, driving us into a situation where um, my wife she went into different rehabs more than once, and on one of them came out and said, "I'm not coming home," and left me with three of our four four of the four boys, and we um, try to make a go of it there but there was a lot of pain for that and i had a very close family member and her husband we were very and our kids were all close and they lived outside of cleveland and they said you guys should just move here and um that's how i ended in there i picked up and moved three boys and another challenge to my journey is how am i going to do this um First, I got to get a job, then I got to find a place, then I got to find schools. And within a two week period, all that fell into place. Now, what was I doing? Well, because of the pain I'd already been through over the marriage breakup and the, the anxiety that I mentioned earlier that was really almost debilitating and, and sometimes the tears, um, there was a lot of prayer coming out of me and out of pain because. Dan kept saying, just ask God, just pray to him for the answer. And I still wasn't totally understanding that that was going to be 100%. And when you when somebody, when you think about getting an answer, it's like what I've learned, uh, let's go this way. 
You can't ask God why. You can, but he's not going to tell you why. You never get the why. But you can ask him to facilitate strength, wisdom, take away things, lead you in a direction. But why did this happen? And I, I was still stuck in that. And Dan said, you can't be stuck in that. Because that's stopping you from the other things that he will take care of. And um, there was an evening uh, about two months before we were made, had made the decision as a family, the boys and I, to move, to be near the, other, the rest of the family. It was an evening where, um, and this might be a little out there for some people listening, is that at, at the church and Dan was speaking in tongues and you know, we talked about interpretation before that different lessons and everybody interprets differently what might be said. Some people might stand up and talk about it. Um, all I kept hearing was patience from when he spoke. And it was a brief, brief moment he was speaking. It was, couldn't have been more than 30 seconds, but I just heard patience. You have to have patience. You got to have patience. And that just rang true to me. And it still does to this day because I was not a patient person in a lot of respects, sometimes quick tempered and sometimes um, acted almost irrationally to situations, just went with my gut and went. And you know, that, that backfires a lot, you know? So leaving Rochester and Rochester was the focal point for a lot of Calvary chapels. There was about six or seven of them in little Rochester. When I went to Cleveland, which is a much larger city, there was only one and it was brand new again. Uh, it was just like Dan's church. Um, and that pastor, Mike Busher is still there. And when I went to meet him, I was very anxious about that because I needed the support. I had left all that family from that, from the church um, to move. And part of the, everything that happened on moving was I got a job offer. My cousins were looking for a house for me. And um, the landlord that I had, because we had sold our house, for one of her rehabs and we had to move um said they would let me out of the lease mm. all that happened at the same time within like two or three days so we're putting everything together and talk about faith on this next piece is that we were loading up the u-haul i had my older boy who was going to stay in rochester he had a driver's license he had he had to pick up put stuff in that another friend and we're going to make a truck out of it. Let's go, you know, caravan. And um, I get a phone call. And we planned on leaving. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, from Rochester, it's about four hours, three and a half to four hours. I figured on five, we were supposed to leave around four o'clock, try to get in there by nine. And it was about four o'clock and we still weren't hundred percent out of the house. And I get a phone call and it's the CEO of the company, the mortgage company I was supposed to go work for. And he essentially dilutes my compensation package by almost 75%. Now, um, he said that the person who hired me was no longer with the company and they have the authority to give me an offer letter they gave me. And so here's where it was. So I'm standing there on the phone in my house that's 90% empty with a U-Haul packed, getting ready to move. I've already paid a deposit on a house. And I don't have a, I essentially don't have a job because I told him, forget it. 
I'm not doing it. So my faith was, I never told anybody anything. And we all went to Cleveland and I got him in the house. And that was a Friday. And Monday came and it was the beginning of summer. And one of the boys said, so aren't you going to work today? <laughs> in the meantime, I'd spent the weekend calling in because there was a lot of opportunity. And while I was there, um, I just kept praying to God, you you need help, help. You know, I don't have a lot of money in the bank. I cashed in a small 401k to get into the property and move us. I got enough money to last us a couple of months. Just help me, you know. And um, two days later, I totaled my car. And it was my fault. Uh, was wasn't paying attention. Somebody stopped short on a green light and I hit the back of them and the insurance company totaled the car. It was drivable, but they totaled it. The next day, I get a phone call from a guy who says, um, I really like your resume and you know, can we have a conversation? Can you come out? And they needed a general manager for their mortgage, their small mortgage company. And long story short, they got they gave me the job. And the job came with a car. Now, Kelsey, I, I, most people wouldn't even think about this, but this was this was a while ago. This was in the late '90s. But even then, there wasn't management positions in mortgage companies that came with an automobile. It was a very unique situation to the ownership of that mortgage company and the partnerships, because they it was a third company. The two principals each owned different companies, and the mortgage company was their joint venture together. And they had supplied the previous position with that person that position with a car, and it was that person left, and it was just there, and and it was brand new. It was like a year old, and so I was just like, "This can't be happening," you know. It's, it was so positive, and so I had a decent job, was able to pay for things, and um, take care of every everybody you know, going forward. You know, we had a lot more challenges, a lot more angst, but. Um, it's an attending and attending an attending there. You know, it was uh, church. It was a drive. It, was, it wasn't easy to get to. Um, being that Cleveland's not small, and there's one Calvary. You know, it's, we weren't the farthest away we could have been, but we weren't we weren't close by. Um, so those are those are just some of those examples of this. You know, because a lot of people say to me, "You're a single dad of three three sons are here." I know. Well, there's four, but the other one's in college, and he's he stayed back in Rochester with his, um, his friends. So, yeah, and they, it was like the amazement coming out of people that, you know, I was a guy and I had two in middle school and one in high school and, um, you know, took them all the way through and out. Uh, you know, there, it, it was, it was just no way to make that all work without his guidance. And I had, lost temper moments and I had frustration moments and I had anxiety moments because of the unknown. Um, I inserted myself into the school system and coached football for the high school and all my boys played. So I was known as coach Jay in the school. So that uh, restricted them from getting out of line too much because all the teachers knew and the head coach was in the building. And so was a number of the other coaches. So um, they didn't like that. They, they're like, 
we couldn't get away with anything. I said, that was the whole point. You know, I, I was, I was your age and it wasn't that long ago, or at least it didn't seem that way. So um, to help you stay in, in line, then we couldn't afford you to go to all boys Catholic prep schools that were here that would make you stay in line like they, they did me. Um, but that was part of it, but also to be near them and the sport and their playing and uh, being with them on all those things uh, that, that, that made that through that. Um, I'm just trying to think of, some other points to that, uh, the, but the, the 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 attacks increased at times. You know, he, he was trying to derail me. Satan was. There's no doubt about it. Um, I was. I felt more responsible. I felt like I was uh, attentive um, to them a little bit more. Um, it was phenomenal remembering back to Greg and. Even some other events, for instance, um, while working with Dan in Rochester, he asked me, he goes, look, um, Calvary Chapel Pastors Conference is going to be held at the Finger Lakes in Canandaigua, New York. Why don't you come? I'm like, why, why, would, why, why would I go? You know, uh, he goes, eh, it'll be okay. It might be a little heavy at times, but you really learn a lot. And what I didn't know that he told me years later when I revisited him was that he was hoping the light would come off and I would try to be a pastor. And mm -hmm. I don't know what he saw in me, but he saw something at the time. I mm -hmm. still, uh, and I, I, it was, it's interesting. I look back. So I go there and I tell this story because it, it connects me to Chuck Smith and Greg and a bunch of other um, amazing teachers, because even though it was the East Coast Conference, um, John Corson from Oregon was there. Raul Reese was there, Ray Rosales. And, um, and of course, I mean, Bill Gallatin was the kind of like the East Coast senior guy because him and him um, and Chuck were very tight, but he knew some of the principals like Greg, he and Greg hung out a little bit in Southern California. So he was part of the hippie thing. You know, they mm -hmm. were all about five, six years older than me. And so um, I go there and it's, it's Kelsey's drinking from a fire hose. It was, there's so much going on and so much depth. But I ended up, um, I have the whole conference on cassette tape and I've kept it and I'm, I'm going to break it back out because you actually instilled in me this memory that I'm about to finish and made me remember I have them. So I'm going to get them converted and um, I, I want to listen to them because Chuck was there and that's where we met him. But this one, one, one of the days we were all were going to go to um, lunch. And uh, Dan said, let's go to, come on to lunch with us guys. What guys? Some of the, some of the guys are going. Okay, where are we going to go? Well, there's a, well, there's a, a Rochester-based grocery store chain that's actually quite big now. Um, it's called Wegmans. And they had a, one of their newest type of stores right near where we were, which, in call, which had ready-made food, hot food, and an eating area in a grocery store which was kind of unheard of, especially in Rochester. It's kind of conservative that way. And so we all went there and we sat down and everybody got their own food and went back to the table. And I'm looking at the table and some of those names I dropped and some others I don't remembered, including Chuck Smith, were at this table and me. So these guys are senior pastors, the leader of the Calvary movement. Greg Laurie wasn't there, but all the, it just was almost a who's who of, I listened to these guys on the radio. And so I remember sitting there and we just ate and we had to get back. We got back and fast forward to um, 
I think it was about five or six years later, I find myself in Costa Mesa in business, California. And I went, Chuck's church is here. I look up the address. I was four miles away, had my own car. I drove over. Very unassuming property, but large. Walked into the office area, which was, again, not profound at any means. And the lady behind the counter says, uh, can I help you? And I said, is Pastor Chuck here by chance? She goes, he is. He's on the phone. Can I tell him who's here? I said, tell him Paul Johnson from Rochester. I don't think he's going to remember me, no, because it had been four or five years. And this is part of God's grace to me and also direction of this is also real. And I, there wasn't, I wasn't challenged by that at any means by this time, but it was just another reinforcement of how he was in my life and being important in my life. Because Chuck comes out, and so I'm I'm not the smallest guy in the room, as you, you could probably imagine by me telling you I played football. I'm six three, and I'm way too heavy to talk about it. But um, Chuck is <laughs> Chuck's pretty short, um, and he comes out, so it was like Danny DeVito and Schwarzenegger and twins. You know, was standing next to me, and he hugs me, and I got my arm around him, and I said, "Do you remember me?" He goes, "Yeah, yeah." Don't say it. Let me think. Let me think. And he's point wagging his finger, and he says that grocery store we had lunch at a grocery store it was the weirdest thing and i never forget him saying it he's shaking his head and he did remember me and i couldn't believe it because he meets how many people and he just he did he remembered the whole thing and so he took me on this mini tour for about 25 minutes it was super gracious and then he had to get back to something and i walked out of there walking on clouds just because that was my my chuck smith engagement on a, on another time another one-on-one -on -one thing so in um in retrospect to the movie i appreciate kelsey's adaptation of who he was because he's got a lot of it down pretty good and um i went back and revisited some videos of some of his uh teachings and you know chuck's style which is what they all try to emulate or most of them is very unique but he brings everything to modern day say nomenclature and, and verbiage so that you can relate to the, what the story is trying to tell us and that was part of my journey's basis because you know as things have gone on today um praying all praying consistently is the key and when we think about that back into our understanding like understanding of the trinity when they're talking about praying consistent unceasingly i think is the words that most often translates into they're not talking about in my mind we're sitting there 24 hours a day praying that's not what they're talking about but they're pray, praying in every aspect of what you're about to do and i can't do it i can't we all fall short i fall short i can't do it but that was a message that was coming out was you, if you ground, try to be grounded enough that the good things constantly thank him for the good things and thank him for the rough things and, but be thankful. And as I go through a couple of um, daily devotions that I follow, that's often the message is being grateful, being thankful and praying unceasingly, you know, um, 
I'm trying to think if there was another point to the next, because what ended up happening was you know, I went through collapses in the mortgage business, companies folding out from underneath me, and what was just constantly being reminded of just tell God what you need, ask him for strength, ask him for wisdom, ask him for a resolution, whatever you want to ask him, but excuse me, bring him in and ask him. And, you know, somewhere in the Bible, it says something about if, you know, if you ask, you'll receive. We've modern day translated that. You don't get what you don't ask for. I think the two go hand in hand a little bit. If you're, you know, he's, we have free will, we have free choice. And if we're freely praying to him for those things, and this is a big piece of what I've learned over the years. Um, but I always feel like I could pray more. And uh, often saying, you know, as your will be done, but not mine. I think if we recognize that as, a, as the point being, um, because we, we are inertly selfish to our own self and what we want. So at this point, uh, in, in after, after Cleveland, um, I say after because when one of these mortgage companies I was working for, and I had a very large territory fold that I had a rental townhouse in Northern Virginia, and I still had my pretty large house in Cleveland. Only one of my sons was living in it at the time. And, you know, it was a nightmare. I had been, went from making very good money to nothing. I had this house I needed to sell. And that was, it was the market was slow. It was 2007. It took us like 11 months to sell it. Um, but my landlord let me out of my lease oh. here uh, in Northern Virginia. That was, that was, that was $2,400 a month. And I, and then I ended up with a job here. And um, as a result, somebody else I used to work with in the company that folded. All these things that as I look back to, he's watching out for me, uh, including to the home I live in today. And if somebody had said to me, um, I live in Loudoun County, okay? A lot of people know about it. It's infamous, unfortunately. We've got some, we've got a lot of work here and we need God here badly. But um, it's also, if it's not number one, it's number two of the most of the richest counties in the country. This beyond Orange County, California, and Fairfax is right next to us. And it's one or two, we're, we're one or two with them usually. And then once in a while, Orange. But um, so there's a lot of affluency here. And what that brings a lot of struggles. And so real estate's extremely high. It's not San Diego high, but it's pretty high. So the kind of home I'm in today, my point is, if somebody told me you're going to be in that kind of home, it's a, at this point in your life, which we've been here for 12 years, I would have said, no, that ain't happening. I, that, I can't see that happening, you know, but he did that by his grace, because for some reason he wanted me to be in this environment and to be in this area. I'm not sure why. And that, that hasn't been revealed to me. Cause remember what I said earlier, can't ask those ask why, right? Um, I think that if you tell him what you want um, and leave it up to him, he takes care of you in his own way. He doesn't take care of you in your way. And I ended up finding that out because as I, as I, I stayed, I went in and out of the mortgage space because I tried to, to go into a, a consultant piece, which you know, because that's how we met initially. Um, but I got pulled back in and there's there's been a reason. And I'm not quite sure 
again, what's the why? I don't, I don't know, but I do feel comfortable and I do feel peaceful at the path that I've been going because I haven't been forcing anything. And in my youth and even into my 30s, I forced myself to, to go in certain directions. And um, this was just like, look, here it is. If you want me to go this way, open the door. If you don't want me to go this way, show the, the door you want me to go through. And I went where he, where he sent me. Um, I've been through cancer. I've been through joint uh, replacements. Um, and I've been through depression and I've always had the ability to continue to provide. Uh, I think one of the biggest things that we can pray for as a human race is this combination of patience, wisdom, discernment. Because if you can bring those things in and ask God for those I think your life can be extremely joyous, whether you have nothing or everything, whatever everything is to the person. And that's something I definitely learned. Um, and I remember back going to Dan's church when I first went in there, and I wanted what they wanted. There was a peacefulness about a feel. People were calm. Um, Nobody was that strong financially, and we weren't either at the time. But everybody just seemed happy. And it made me want to go back. And everybody was happy to see me walk in the door. Uh, my dad suffered some health issues, and um, he had to stay with us for a while. And he is, again, brought up in the Catholic Church, but existed in the Catholic Church through his whole life. So, um, but he had struggles with some of the theology. And he talked to me about it later in life. So he had this health struggle. He had a, he had a, he had a surgery, um, lower, lower extremity surgery for vascular issues. So he had to be in a wheelchair to go anywhere for about two weeks. And um, one of the assistant pastors was a former city cop uh, at the church and my dad had been a cop and his two brothers his brother and brother-in-law both retired from the police force so there was this connection when i when i brought him to church i asked tony was his name would you help me because we had to pick my dad up in the chair and walk up two steps and then go up another step to get in and so he comes over he says hello to my dad he goes what are you doing i go dad tony used to be a cop you did all of a sudden now they got a connection and we go to church my father sits in there now any kind of non-denominational service in comparison to the very structured, ritualistic Catholic mass, it's a big difference. Especially in the beginning when there's so much of the music and it's more modern step, even though the Catholic Church stepped into that a little bit. I was worried about my dad and what he was going to think. And I look over at him and during the worship time and the songs, he's sitting in a wheelchair, but he's tapping his foot to the music. I was like, really? So here's the message and all that. And Dan, Pastor Dan comes over to him and he's really kind. And everybody's come up to him. He's an older man in a wheelchair and he's with me. 
So they were being very gracious to him. And so we get him in the car and then, so what'd you think? He goes, everybody's so happy. Everybody's so friendly. What's, what, what's the, what's going on? What's the secret? I go, they just are. That's something that we've noticed from the beginning. But my dad went back to that church with me probably another half a dozen times before he moved back to his house. And um, he went a few more times after that, but it was, it was, a, it was a bit of a ride. And, and as he got, you know, he was a little bit older, but it was, there's another vision of what was like, I wouldn't even, I was in it and didn't even realize it. It's kind of like when I talk to people today about taking those, my sons, moving them 400 miles and raising them from middle school through high school, through college by myself um, because their mother had disappeared and didn't have any input on any, at any level. Um, so there was dealing with that with them as well. It was all about how did you get through that? How did you make that happen? And me being, you know, really not all that smart about it for, for a lot of the time would say, I just don't know. I just did it. But today I look back and say, I don't know how I did it, but God was helping me do it. Mm. And I, I see that now, but when I was in it, I couldn't and I didn't. Not, not, not very much. I kept, I was praying to him all the time. Well, it felt like all the time. Maybe not. So, you know, the journey, the journey today, the prayer pieces can just continue to be, hey, if this is what you want me to do, it just makes it more simpler. I've had prayer lists and I've had just ad hoc wake up. Um, I've had going into uncomfortable situations or meetings when I said, hey, just can you help me out? I don't even know what I need. Send the Holy Spirit to strengthen me and I come out and wow, that wasn't so bad, especially with the health issues. You know, um, you know, the cancer thing was 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 a was a was a scare. It wasn't necessarily a wake up call. I wasn't doing anything wrong, uh, but um, I was lucky enough to get a type of cancer that was extremely rare in the spec in the in the fact that it doesn't spread much, if at all. And um, I needed after surgery to remove it, I just needed two rounds of chemotherapy. And I, it really, for the for his grace, that's why. Because it could have been a lot, lot worse. And it was in a very bad area. And so, um, you know, the, the, the journey comes out today is where I, I go to a pretty strong, large Calvary Chapel here. Um, it doesn't carry the name. It's called Cornerstone Chapel. But they're one of the few, I think there's three that are part of the group uh that are not college calvary um i'm i'm very well acquainted with the pastor i've done something socially with him um he's he's a very he's a dan crespo chuck smith type of teacher and so my wife who was brought up with uh, my wife today we've been together about 17 years um was brought up in a non-denominational um islamic house which meant they called themselves Muslims, but they didn't practice. They just called it because they had to. And they moved here um, from Iran in the late 60s. So it was a different time. So, so when they got here, they just weren't anything. And mm -hmm. they believed there was a God, but they didn't go anywhere. And the only church she ever attended was somebody's wedding, somebody's funeral. So... Um, exposing her to this and she just is in love with gary's teaching and is a christian today and and understands his 
style. And when she met Dan, she goes, well, he's a lot like Gary. And, and then I showed her some tapes of Chuck. She goes, Oh, they're all similar in their delivery. I mean, in, in what, in the, in the, in the way they explain or they want to talk about stuff. So the, the church today here um, gives us some grounding and consistency, but it's uh, it's just a reminder that we need to be with others that are like we need to we need to be fellowshipping with people of like mind as much as possible, and um, that's that's the kind of the journey I'm that's where I'm at today. Is I'm there and. Waiting for the return, and uh, some days hoping it was that day. <laughs> some days I'm glad that it's uh, you know I still get to live and see my grandkids and hang out. But um, if it wasn't, you know, I look back at taking. There's, there's so many different points of along the way from the very beginning of understanding who the hippies and the Jesus freaks were when I was in my twenties, and then my friend Paul who got me and he, he opened the door to me and he sat right with me in this room and said, just say this prayer and you're going to be so freed. And I refused it, you know, mm. and, and then the next steps and Julie's impl in, influence and her getting me to go and then me and seeing Greg and meeting Greg because he came to the floor. And then everything that's kind of happened after that was, there's no doubt in my mind that God was, was watching over me and my family consistently and maybe and and his reasons are his but i'm grateful for that and um today he hears from me a lot i think maybe he's hearing from me more than he wants because i'm constantly how are we gonna get through this one or help me with that but i think that's part of that praying and unceasingly hmm. well do you have any favorite um devotional that you like to do jesus what? calling Jesus calling. I've done uh, that one. I'm, I'm on my seventh year. Seventh year? Yep. I have Same the book. One. I have the book and now I'm doing it on, I do it on um, my iPhone um, every morning. And then I read also, uh, Greg Lurie has a devotion on his website. Hmm. A little bit more. Um, so, so her, the Jesus calling devotion is, um, she has one or two paragraphs on the subject matter and then there's supportive text behind it, you know, two or three verses, sometimes four. And it's a little bit bigger picture. Greg deals with his is, is usually one small scripture, but he has a, a dissertation of, of how that applies. And his is more topical, as they call it, more, more today, current event type of thing. Like when he starts to get close, like right now, to Easter, everything's about leading up to the cross and the resurrection. You know, his, his stuff is like say more timely. Whereas, you know, Jesus Calling is it's a different one every day, and, and there's a like every February second is the same one, but you don't remember it because you've read 364 other ones. But mm -hmm. they always seem so relevant. It just you know, and it doesn't take a lot of time for those that might be thinking it does. It doesn't take a lot of time, even if you just soak them in take three, four minutes and think about what you read and then I move on. Um, those are the two. Those are the two. Well, and thinking about your background, I know you talked right off the bat about anxiety. Um, 
if any of our listeners are struggling with feeling anxious a lot of the time, which I think a lot of people do struggle with that, um, do you have any last tips around, I know you said pray, praying unceasingly, right? Without ceasing. Um, any other pointers for our audience on whether it's a Bible verse or just something that you do that helps you when you're anxious? Well, you got to have the confidence to know that God's in control. And it doesn't feel like it, but you got to remind yourself of that. It helps to ease some of that. But sometimes anxiety is a chronic thing that comes out of depression mm. and it rolls. And we're not we're not inside our own heads enough to understand how to how to pull that apart. And there are professionals that help with that. And after conversing with two different pastors about looking to professionals to help when you're into the depressional part of that, there's nothing wrong with that, especially if you can find a Christian one. Sometimes mm -hmm. there's medications needed. And if that's the case, I subscribe to this point. That's all a temporary situation and solution. If they help you get things out or help you understand and see things a little bit clearer, that's in a frame of my, that's in a period of time. And that's not a long period of time, three months, five months. So, something has to go on for years. And I've had to go through that. It was two and a half months. I don't want to say everything was wonderful, but they let me see some things. And in the meantime, I was praying to him to give me wisdom and understanding what I'm trying to find that's causing this rooted, unnecessary anxiety. And that's when the light bulbs start going off and things started to mellow out because mm -hmm. a couple of things would come up. We understood a few things, you know, and, and a lot of it is, is anticipation and it's false anticipation as to what the events that are coming causing the anxiety are going to, are going to, what the results are going to be. And you think things are going to, you think of the worst and they end up never get, getting that bad. But there are people, and one of my sons suffers from this, they get all anxious and, and they get anxiety ridden and they don't know why and they can't get to it. And they, they you know, they, 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 they can't get to the, to the root yet. And they really don't have that much going on to understand what's, what's causing it. But usually anxiety is because something that we're anticipating is going to happen in 90% of the time or even more. The worst of what we think is going to happen never happens. And if you've got God on your side, it certainly isn't going to. So mm -hmm. that's, that's, I pray that those people that are going through that could try to find a way to understand, use every resource you've got and keep God in front of you. And he, you, you can't sit down on, or get down on your knees and pray a prayer and have it miraculously gone completely. It, it's just not normal normal it doesn't normally happen but you will get relief and now you can try to figure out why well, that was really ridiculous i was so anxious for that because it still happens to me today it's in small bites i get a little anxious about something that's going to happen i go in and do whatever i got to do and i come out and I'm like what happened because as soon as i walked in the door on this thing whatever it was and i just went on autopilot almost and did what i had to do and then i wasn't anxious doing it and when i walked out See, I was all worked up for that, and now I'm, it went great. And I, what? Why was I so worked up? And then I get almost upset with myself for letting myself get that way. And I started recognizing that, and, and that's the point. Just if you see that, then you can realize, you know, last time you thought like this, it was not eventful. So don't think like that. Try not to. Please, mm -hmm. God, try to help me think not like that. Mm 
That's great. Well, Paul, I guess as we look to close, how can our listeners support you and be in touch with you? What can we do um, to support you in your journey? Pray for me. Obviously, pray for you too, because we all need it. But, um, you know, supporting me in the journey of continuing to be just a Christian father, got a grandfather, husband. Uh, I don't know what more than prayer, because from a from from a supportive position, you know, of business and what I do, and I still um, I still do some very low level consultive pieces on communication and leadership um and and god's part of that uh, i'm willing to help anybody that wants to call me up and say so you don't know me but i heard you on a podcast and i was wondering when you said this you know i'll talk to them and it would, it would help anybody but to how do they help me it really anybody that's listening to this probably isn't gonna be somebody that i know and I would just ask them to thank God for me being here with you and for you putting this together mm-hmm. and ask them to keep us blessed. That's, mm-hmm. That would be the best thing. And I'm sure we'll feel it when it happens. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll feel it. So, Absolutely. Well, Paul, this has been such a joy. I, your story is so inspiring. I took down quite a few notes, just thinking about, um, you know, one of the things that you said that really stood out to me was just not to force things to happen. If it feels like it's not meant to happen, that's probably a sign that God's opening a different door for you. Um, And I think just thinking about prayer and using prayer to lean on when we're having a tough time, I think your story, I mean, even the whole car thing, I'm just thinking, gosh, how in the world that you happen to get a job that has comes with a car and your car had been um, totaled a couple days prior. I mean, there are so many pieces that you shared about your story that it's very obvious that God had a, had a role in every single step of your journey. He's, he was blessing and taking care of us. And that's what I had asked for earlier on, but I wasn't asking every day. I wasn't, mm-hmm. pray, I wasn't praying unceasingly, so to speak back then. I don't even do it well now, but I do it better than I used to. But he was, as I look back at this, like he, it, it became this. I think. I think because of the struggle and the and the and the devastation of their mother leaving the and and everything going on. Um, I mean, she wasn't dead, so that was that made it almost worse because they knew she was out there and she was not communicating and was not. So I had to be it. I had to be all of it, and he just made sure I had enough to be enough. Mm-hmm. and I didn't even realize that was going on, but he took care of us. And so his grace was all around it. So it, you made me think about all that. And, you know, I do think about some of it, but not in the encapsulated like this. So I'm flying pretty high right now because of the, the feelings mm-hmm. about how, wow, if you look back at all that and how all that happened, because when I started this journey um, and moved them, you know, we're talking about 25 years ago. So mm-hmm. I was already in my early 40s. Mm-hmm. So some people out there who are in their 30s or 40s and thinking, what's the sense? Oh, there's a lot of sense. 
you got a lot of life to live and you got a lot of things to, to, to do yet. And he's got a plan. You just got to ask him for it. I love that. Just got to ask. You. Thank you so much, Paul, for sharing your faith story with us. I'm so excited. We had an opportunity to do this and record this in a podcast form. Um, you have a story that's worth telling and sharing. And I'm so honored that you took this time today to be with me and have this conversation. And I'm sure that our listeners have really enjoyed it as well. Um, so thanks again, Paul, for doing this podcast. Thank you, Kelsey. I appreciate being asked to be on here and well, God blesses you and everybody that's associated with what you're doing. And I think it's a great, great thing to do to reach out and have something for people to have a resource for and listen, because we all go through stuff. We all have things that we got to take care of and God's there for us. So thanks for having me very much. Thank you very much.